0: Welcome along, everybody, to Episode 9 of The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and David Quinn. No guest this week, just David and I chatting through the issues of the week um, as we see them, and perhaps the rest of the country, or at least the rest of the media, didn't see them. David, I wanted to start this week with uh, an issue, a story that I think has been undercovered, which is the the discovery by the authorities in Brussels of literal wheelbarrows of money in the possession of um, a left-wing, doesn't really matter which wing she is on, but a left-wing MEP, which has allegedly, according to the investigators in, in Brussels, was funneled to her by the Qatari government in return for certain undisclosed favours. Uh, now, this has to be fair. We, we, If you've been following the news, you'll have seen a little bit of it here and a little bit of it there, but not as much, David, I think, um, as we would have heard about it if it was like in the
1: House of Commons in the UK or the Dáil in Ireland. Um, well, it's a bit like... Which we'll get into a little bit later in the program. This "do not amplify" instruction or a command that they could use in Twitter. So this is a story that's kind of there, but at the same time not there. It's been reported, but it's not been emphasised, and there's no proper discussion about it. So as you say, four MEPs. They're all on the left, by the way, which is interesting because uh, it's usually they usually associate sexual scandals with the right and. Um, uh, fight well financial scandals with the left, so here we have it, and they're all allegations. But as you say, 1.5 million euro worth of cash, literal cash, found in some of these people's uh, places. Um, and it was also two members of staff, so six in total. And they're going to see how much wider it goes. Um, so you got to imagine if four TDs have been found, have a total between them of 1.5 million from whatever government. And it was being alleged that, well, they were doing favors for this government, they were pushing the influence of this government at all, let's say China, at random, all right? This would be completely and utterly wall-to-wall coverage. We just know that. There would be thundering denunciations, and rightly, going on all week. Um, Here, not much. Now, actually, I think there's two explanations. One is our kind of Europhilia, that we want to kind of hear no evil, speak no evil, Uh, see no evil when it comes to the EU, so there's that. Um, So we have to report it because we're reporters and we've got to report this because it's a big story. Uh, But but a second reason I think why it's not getting too much attention is because of the democratic deficit. Um, All the citizens of all the EU member states relate very strongly to their own national institutions, first and foremost their national parliaments. And so they relate to all those politicians, they see them on TV every night and so on, and so they see this corruption in an institution that I'm familiar with, and I've heard of those politicians, and so rightly I'm going to go mad. But here we have this institution, a very important one in Brussels, the European Parliament, and it's kind of far away. So I'm not going to take too much interest in it.
0: Yeah. and That's and, and,
1: really the democratic deficit in many ways summed up right there.
0: And nobody's ever heard of these people. I can't even remember their names. And there are 600 mm. and whatever there are MEPs. And, you know, who knows? you can't even remember them. asked me to name all 13 or 14 or 12 or whatever number it is of Irish MEPs. No me tell you. I think Barry Andrews is one, I think. Anyway. Uh, and then he, obviously he Mick, Mick and Clare uh, as yeah. well. As we all know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, For me, I mean, there's a couple of uh, points here. We talk about the democratic crack deficit in Brussels. To me, mm. Brussels is, there's a reason why every major PR company in the world, and I'm talking about the big ones here, I won't name them because, you know, libel laws and all the rest, mm. but, but it's not libelous to say they have office in, br- offices in Brussels. Mm. Every mm. single big one has offices. It's London, New York, Dublin, Brussels, maybe Singapore. Now, why do they all have offices in Brussels? Because it's at the administrative center of Europe. And it is also one of the best places in the world to be a lobbyist. One of the best places in the world. The transparency that is required as, of a member of the European Parliament is basically non existent. I think you were saying to me earlier on today that um, they get five grand a month in unvouched expenses. Well,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, uh, sorry, John, I was just seeing on, on that point, I'm reading here from uh, Naomi O'Leary in her Europe letter in the Irish Times. MEPs have to de- uh, ha- only have to declare. Meetings with interest groups in very limited circumstances have no obligations to report meetings with representative states, take note, and are allowed to hold other jobs. Are there any conflicts of interest with those jobs? It doesn't matter if there's not, but if there is, well, then it's a big deal. So, like, there you are. No transparency, no openness, no real accountability, therefore. And have the power,
0: it should be said, to, to, uh, you talk about MEPs, there's also commissioners with the powers to regulate, massive regulatory powers with the stroke of a pen, regulate industry and business all across Europe. It is Mm -hmm. a lobbyist's dream factory. Um, a lot of European legislation... I mean, by the way, I, I have personally spoken to lobbyists, Irish lobbyists, who will tell you that Europe is the place to go. You go to your MEP with a pre-written piece of, of draft legislation. And on several occasions, it has been known for MEPs to literally introduce these things under their own name and push them through. There are regulations against that in basically every other Western parliament. But in Europe, is it's in Brussels, it's cowboy central. Now, if you're listening to this, listener, and you're like, oh, there's McGurk and Queen skeptics again... That to, to my mind, there's no case for leaving the European Union, but it comes back to what Jason O'Mahony was saying on this show a couple of weeks ago. We have no interest in how it's run. We're governed by this enormous superstructure in Europe. Um, we have layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy, top-down, regulating us, and we're supposed to be, as citizens and voters and the national government, interested in how the thing is run and have a voice
1: at it. And, and nobody cares. So you have nobody this you mass see, But But I consider the weirdness of it. Um, so nobody would say... Trust our politicians here at home to just get on with the job and do a really good job and to do nothing nefarious and nothing incompetent. People would just laugh at you. And if you say, Well, I am going to criticize actually the way our politics is done, nobody would say you're anti Irish, okay, and you you don't believe in Irish democracy. um, They would never say that. They would think it's absolutely natural to want to hold your politicians to account, to take an interest and to worry that they're no good and so on, or might even, some of them might even be corrupt. Brussels, if you try to hold the EU institutions to the same standards we try to hold our national institutions, you're a Europhobe. This is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, and once again shows the massive void and democratic deficit and lack of accountability that there is. Because, again, they say... Can't criticise, and if you criticise, you're Farage. I
0: can hear, I can hear Timmy Dooley as I speak. I'm sorry, Timmy, if you're listening, but like I, you know, you're guilty of this. I can hear Timmy Dooley leaning across the desk in TV3, at you saying, "You're starting to sound now a wee bit like Nigel Farage," because like, yeah. that's that's what happens. that's what argument. happens, but but it's very effective. Oh, it works, works mm. a treat. Um, but so 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 the, the I mean, the implications of this scandal are yet to be seen. But what I would say is. And one of the reasons I think it should be covered more is that I doubt it's the end of it. Because normally, when things like this are discovered, um, it's very rarely stopping there. If 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 there's if there's three or four MEPs in the European Parliament who felt comfortable and secure enough to take, and again I emphasise, wheelbarrows full of literal cash hmm. notes from a foreign government, then I would be very surprised if they were on their own. Because you, if you think about how these crimes happen, um,
1: and we have are, to say alleged crimes,
0: uh, alleged so far. Uh, we we do though I'm, mm. I'm sure the people concerned have more pressing concerns than to be sued, like <laughs> you on me. But but the, these alleged crimes happen. Um, when we say theoretical crimes, these theoretical crimes happen. They happen in a culture. You have to be if you're going to do something, whether it be um, rob a bank or you know, evade tax or whatever it is you're going to do. You have to have some sense that you're going to get away with it. You're not going to commit a crime that you're fairly certain you're going to be caught doing. And I would suggest that if there's a culture in the European Parliament where four members of it felt comfortable allegedly taking big wedges of cash, I would be very surprised if they were on their own. And not only that, but if, as alleged, the Qatari government was comfortable enough to take this approach to MEPs, I mean, it didn't come up with that idea on its own. Presumably, these were not the only MEPs they approached. And if they approached these people, they, they would have presumably um, had a tip-off
1: that they were approachable, from other people who had done similar things. So this is it um, the only country to do it. And other lobby groups doing it. Now, are these unworthy questions to ask? Or again, are they questions that come naturally into the head of anybody thinking about this? Uh, so we shouldn't have to check ourselves actually about those questions, that exactly the sort of questions that have to be asked. By the way, everybody's forgotten that i would forgotten reading a, a, a leader piece in the London Times today about this. Uh, much stronger than anything i read in the Irish paper so far, by the way. And um, it was saying in 1999, the whole of the European Commission resigned because of allegations around corruption. And so they just felt we got to resign to restore confidence. I mean, that's not that long ago, 1999. It was also a few MEPs resigned some years later. And now we have this again. And like some people, I was raising this on Twitter and about the democratic deficit. um, Oh, look at how swiftly they're moving to fix it. All right, so nothing to see here, folks. And there we have our four MEPs (laughs) and our two staff. And end of, we'll just do a bit more digging around here, but it's an absolute aberration.
0: But that's so silly. I mean, the the idea that they wouldn't move quickly. I mean, there are photographs on the internet that everyone can see of, again, I'm going to come back to it, cash that you could only carry around in a wheelbarrow, sitting Mm. on a table saying this is what we see. The idea that, um, I mean... they're not going to try and move this quickly and make it go away quickly is absurd. Of course they're looking into mm. it quickly. The question is, what else are they looking for? How, mm. how deep does it go? Um, are there any pressing reforms that might need to be made to ensure this kind of thing can't happen, doesn't happen, and is heavily punished when it does happen? What law, what country's law are these people going to be prosecuted under? There's there's There, there are so many questions that one could ask, and I would put it to anybody, that, that if this story was happening, forget the doll. Imagine mm. if this was happening in Westminster. Imagine these mm. were four Tory MPs. I I put it; it wouldn't be the top story on the RT news every night for a week, but it would be number three.
1: Number three. And it would be very much discussed across the airways. But you see well, again,
0: be the leading item on Matt Cooper's radio show every night for a week. And I say that um, again, Matt, if you happen to be listening, it's true. You know, it's 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 it is the the. Our love of discussing the badness of the Brits and the Americans if the Republicans are in charge um is completely set against our complete unwillingness to look in any way critical at a blatantly obvious corruption scandal. But you um, see again,
1: like so we take an interest in Britain and America. why? because they're both English-speaking countries that many Irish people go to, and we can follow their politics easily. So we can't follow European politics very easily. Uh, there's multiple languages. and um, There's hundreds of MEPs from all over Europe, as there should be, but it makes it all very unrelatable. And like I wonder, are German voters also as disconnected from the institutions, are French voters? I noticed, again, I think it was in the London Times, that the right in Italy is having a great old time about this because the politicians involved are on the left. Um, uh, and so they're making great hay out of it, but, but but for domestic reasons. But here, well, they're on the left, so we kind of instinctively like them. It's Brussels, which we absolutely adore. And... Um, so we're not going to really make too big a song and dance about it. Yes, we can point to certain articles in the papers, and it was number five on the RTE News, but these were all kind of controlled explosions kind of reporting, and we're certainly not going to do anything that would in any way damage the faith of Irish people in the European Union. And again, there's your faith in the European Union per se does not have to be undermined by this, Any more than your faith in democracy in Ireland necessarily has to be uh, challenged by the fact that there might be scandals in Leinster House. Now, obviously, it would get somewhat undermined. But again, nobody's going to say you are therefore anti-Irish and it's unhealthy even to discuss it. Absurd. Well, talking
0: about money in politics is a nice way to pivot into something I wanted to talk about um, this week, which is the announcement by the government of 285,000 euros. Now, not a lot of money, it has to be said. Uh, in the context of what the government spends, a lot of money for anyone individually, but 285,000 euros who support the election of more diverse candidates to public office. Which strikes me, I mean, I wrote a piece about this, I called it Bring Back the Galway Tent. I wanted to put ex- in...
1: Excellent piece.
0: I wanted to put in Bring Back the feckin' Galway Tent, except not <laughs> use the word feckin', but they wouldn't let me. So, um, my objection to this, what is it? Well, once again, what we have what we've done in this country that drives me batty is that in, in a country where where the government is every week resisting calls from Paul Murphy to nationalize anything from um snowman building to house building, we have nationalized the political system entirely. It is now an mm-hmm. entirely state-run political uh, state-run industry, and industry is the only word for it, mm-hmm. where everyone is taxpayer funded. The 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 every political party um that exists is gets huge wads of taxpayer funding. Every lobby group gets huge wads of taxpayer funding. We now this week have another grant of taxpayer money to, and this is very important, to restrict the choices you as a voter have on what candidates you vote on. Because the purposes of the purpose of this money is to go to political parties to promote them selecting candidates who are more diverse. Take which minority you know, boxes which well you know I have no 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 problem with minorities in politics some of the best people in politics are, are are women some of the best people in politics are from minority background no issue with that but the point is who are the political parties selecting candidates for Fine Gael, in your local constituency, are likely not selecting a candidate anymore because they think that person is in tune with the local area. They are now selecting a candidate because that candidate gets them more funding from the diversity commissars back in Dublin. The candidates themselves are being selected not to satisfy the voters, but to satisfy the people counting the heads and counting the colours of the heads and counting the genitalia in the underpants. That That's what's happening. Um, and further to that, uh, who are the lobby groups representing? I mean, Alcohol Action Ireland... You think, oh, does that represent people who are concerned about alcohol abuse? No, it doesn't. It represents the Department of Health, which wholly funds Alcohol Action Ireland and gets it to lobby the Department of Health and then hires people from the political parties to get the government to lobby the government through an NGO. There is this absurdity now where the the political system is just a load of taxpayer-funded people talking to each other and the voters are left on the outside looking in. Whereas with the Galway tent, God bless it and save it, bring it back. You could at least, as a voter, say, well, I know who's in there talking to my TDs and giving them the big brown envelopes. I know it's the builders, the builders in the Galway tent, and that's why Fianna Fáil is pro-builder. Fianna is not pro-builder anymore because it doesn't need the builders. Fine Gael isn't pro-big farmer because it doesn't need the big farmers. The Labour Party isn't particularly attached to the trade unions because it doesn't need the trade unions. They're all, however, attached at the hip to the taxpayer-funded NGOs and the lobby groups who push them with new ways to fund various enterprises that they can also give themselves extra money from for pushing diversity or whatever it might be and the rest of us are left on the outside looking at this entirely nationalized political system and a nationalized media increasingly just talking to itself and leaving the rest of us on our own end
1: and why does anybody and why does anybody think that um, this will lead to healthy outcomes and healthier outcomes than the Galway tent which as you say at least had the benefit of being the, of uh, of transparency we can see who was talking to who but here, as you say, the state is paying people to talk to the state um, to influence state policy, and the government is happy to go along with this. And how can that not be, at a minimum, ideologically corrupting, um, narrow further the range of kind of policy options available? I mean, like the Iona Institute is, um, which I run, is continually seen as kind of this demonic type of nefarious influence upon Ireland and Irish politics I don't think I've been in Leinster House in about five years. I've never been into lobby a politician um, I've been in there I think for a lunch a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, but that's years ago and that's kind of it um, uh, there is a register of lobbyists and you're supposed to um, record who you've been seeing, I think politicians are supposed to do the same if we were in there frequently seen politicians, that would be news but journalists I'm sure must occasionally go down the list to see who's meeting who and because they're all kind of pc groups and tick the woke boxes we don't have an issue with this at all there is nothing to see here and i'm sure if you did do it maybe something grip can do sometime uh i'd say you'd get some of them just going in and seeing politicians in enormous numbers like how many does the national women's council see in an average year i wonder i'd say it's absolutely legion it's well, and, uh, uh, and it's state funded, completely state funded. Had,
0: we had an Oireachtas committee report on women's equality today, being co-launched by the uh, chief executive of the National Women's Council, who is not an elected TD, has no membership in the Oireachtas committee, but she was there with the Van and can't remember the lady from Sinn Fein's name. But they were co-launching this report on women's equality with the the chairwoman of the National Women's Council, who is not an elected member of the Oireachtas or a member of any Oireachtas committee, and whose organisation, it should be said, raises the sum total of zero. Uh, well, not quite zero. A little bit, maybe eight grand a year from actual subscriptions from members, mm. and gets hundreds of thousands in taxpayer funding to lobby on behalf of women, uh, which it's paid to do by the government, and not very many actual women at all. So uh, the the whole system. Uh, and, and by the by way, the way
1: and by the way, they can't define what a woman is in any objective way.
0: No, they, woman is.
1: Whoever says they're a woman, who can define what a woman is these days, David? I mean, you're mm. down the road
0: of heresy there. But um, mm. the, the 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 issue is that you said you hadn't been in the doll in recent years. I, I I've barely been in it either. I used to be in it a bit. I haven't really been in it at all since before COVID. But I can't remember being in the doll and not seeing one of either Colin O'Gorman or um, the lady who heads of the NWCI, whose name temporarily escapes me, Orlo but, O'Connor, isn't or, it? Orlo O'Connor Yeah, I mean they're they're in there all of the time, and it's entirely circular. And it, you know. Jason O'Mahony, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, he sometimes says to me in private that Gript should, for the heck of it, when they release this um, taxpayer funding for the media, that we should apply just to make people's head explode if we get like a grant <laughs> of two hundred grand from the government or something. And I, I won't do it. I won't do it because there's a serious risk we might get it. And if you get the money, this is the thing that that become that come beholden. Well, if you get the money, you, it's you, dependent. You, Exactly. If you get 200 grand a year from the state, there are lots of things you can do, but then all of a sudden you're terrified of losing that money. And if you're terrified mm. of losing that money, then you become beholden and you mm. suddenly find that you can't say the things that you want to say anymore because there might be some uh, chap in a department somewhere with his little pen, writing it down what you've said and making a case that you should lose your funding for next year. The idea of an independent media and the idea of a state funded media are entirely different. Um, incompatible, and I think one of the biggest disgraces. I mean, you and I are critics of the Irish media anyway, right? So, well, media, of, in me, uh, yeah, the, uh, media in general. Yeah, the media in general. But but but, uh, you know, I can forgive bias. Right, bias is a human thing. I, I don't care if somebody's biased, as long as they're upfront about it. I'm biased. I'm upfront about it. I think everyone should be upfront about their mm. bias. But. The idea of media begging government for funding is, I think, the most disgraceful thing that's happened in the Irish media in my lifetime because you're just making yourself a patsy. You're making, you're putting yourself in a position where you as a journalist, you as an editor, you as a media proprietor are terrified Of losing that money and what will you do what stories won't you cover what will you not amplify will you be consciously nice to the government in the run into the election time because the state funding bill might be up after the election it is a recipe for rottenness and any journalist worth their
1: salt should say no thank you Um, well I mean just I mean because it's not unrelated just getting back briefly to the EU thing um uh, and the lobbyists, and uh, so on. There's a piece in the Financial Times today, uh, and it's talking about this Qatar gate. and it says, out of hundreds of EU politicians, straight condemnations of Qatar's management of the World Cup were very few. Now, that's odd, because you have lots of politicians who would normally be jumping up and down and that sort of stuff, and in fairness, there was a fair number of politicians in Ireland jumping up and down about that. But how can it be that there's hundreds of MEPs uh, right across the uh, political, well, actually not right across the political spectrum because that's a bit of an ideological echo chamber in there as well, but um, very few condemnations of the treatment of workers, which certainly ought to engage the left, and yet the MEPs at the centre of these bribery allegations are all on the left. So it's kind of an extraordinary thing. And by the way, just to bring home um, the extent that, as you say, wheelbarrows of money, um, so um says here, a Belgian j- judicial source said that Hundred and fifty thousand was found in the flat of one of the MEPs, and Miss Callie, six hundred thousand in her partner's home, and seven hundred and fifty thousand in her father's hotel room. Um the Belgian police have carried photographs of all this money. I haven't seen those photographs in uh, there's one here in the Irish Times about the Financial Times piece, but I'm not seeing it splashed all over the news. I mean, that would really grab people's attention. It's it's and actually it's a it's very a, dramatic picture. It's also very comical. I
0: mean, like, uh, you know, imagine trying to spend that much cash in Ireland. Mm. You basically can't spend cash in this country. I and mean, if you tried to spend, you imagine wanting to buy yourself a Mercedes and trying to plunk like eighty or ninety grand in cash on the table, uh, you'd get a funny look. Um, <laughs> but, but, imagine, it, but, <laughs> but
1: like, imagine again, though. Like, um, um, David Quinn TD and John McGurk TD and their families have been found with one and a half million in cash lying around the place. All right. I, I you know, I think it'll be a big story. But whoever the TDs were, huge story. Not this has not been treated as a big story. Again, I hope that ordinary German voters and French voters are looking at this thinking, Wow, that's a big story and Will it's you, getting proper coverage.
0: You and I regularly get accused. Entirely falsely of having back pockets full to the brim of American mm. cash. Anyway, mm. I think you know if only they knew. But um, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. and like uh, we, uh, we get more attention for money we don't have than the European Union uh, uh, unions NEPs are getting for money that they <laughs> do have. It's 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 you know it it says it's it's not the news, folks. It's who covers the news that matters and what they believe. And in, in Ireland, we have people who believe that if you know the full story of what goes on in Brussels, there's a danger you might think, start thinking that Nigel Farage isn't wrong on everybody. And by the way, I mean, that this, can't be allowed.
1: Yeah, and you see, it's the same with um, the coverage of the East Wall protests. Um, so my wife was coming home on the bus a few days ago, and she's wondering why the traffic was so bad and um, so it was the east wall protest blocking traffic but you'd be hard-pressed to find out that's what it was and this evening i think there was um maybe around the m50 maybe you know uh, some of the ways onto the m50 were being blocked i presume by the east wall protesters so a bit of coverage today but it's not much i mean to me it's a story that protesters for good or bad reasons are majorly inconveniencing commuters um in different parts of dublin each night that is a story by any reckoning but it's not getting properly covered and again i wonder why is it because there's at one level they might be thinking those protesters will lose public sympathy really quickly if we give this big coverage but am i also be thinking we don't want to put a spotlight in those protests because people might begin asking properly what the protests are about and we can't be having that can we so again de-amplified like the EU story, a little bit of coverage, but not much because we don't know how the public will react. And if we give the whole EU thing too much coverage, it might unleash Europhobia. And if you give the East World protest too much coverage, it might unleash racism. So we're not going to report it properly because too much of the media, as we know, as we keep saying in this program, as we will always say in this program, is not about reporting. It's about the narrative, it's about the worldview.
0: <laughs> it's like the old saying. <laughs> because um, I want to talk about something related in a second, but the old say, who was it who said, some American chap, the media's job was to cover every story with a pillow until it stops moving. <laughs> um, and and that, that that bore itself out. I don't want to talk in too much detail about this, but I do want to mention it briefly. That bore itself out in the coverage of uh, Leo Radker's personal life in recent weeks. Because as, as everybody with a phone in this country now knows, Uh, there was a video of Leo Varadkar in a nightclub with a gentleman other than the person who is publicly identified. Yeah, appear to be. Um, And everybody in the country has has seen it, and if they haven't seen it, they know about it. Um, And the media didn't want to cover
1: it and clearly didn't want to cover it. And if they had if it was uh, the Sunday Times did do some coverage at the weekend, they
0: they they did a week later and they're a Sunday paper, so we can we can we can give them a pass on. If everyone in the country hadn't seen this and it was only known to news desks, then much like the coverage of the non-existence coverage of Mr. Hawley's relationship with the late Mrs. Keene all those years ago, it would have been buried so deep that only a paleontologist from an alien civilization two million years' time would have found it. Um, we wouldn't have heard about that were it not for well uh, for yeah. social media, because the, the media decided this is something the public do not
1: have a right to know about.
0: And well, I think that's a decision for yeah. the
1: public. Well, I mean, in my view, um, it was an invasion of privacy involved here. Um, he's in a nightclub um, uh, and Now, it's very naive for a major politician about to be Taoiseach again to be in a nightclub uh, and not be thinking, you've got to have situational awareness and uh, not be aware that there might be a phone camera on you because you've got to basically, when you're a public figure, always think there's a phone camera or a microphone nearby. I mean, for goodness sake, I've been on buses going into town. I take the bus duty every day and I've had people um, photographing me without my knowledge and saying, there's David Quinn on the bus. Yuck or in a restaurant and somebody says there's david quinn yuck um uh, this kind of thing uh this has happened you know three or four times i would say total invasion of privacy you should not be doing it oh the worst example was um i'm having a conversation on a bus um, um, and i'm having a person tweeting the contents of my conversation as i'm having the conversation Uh, I've always been aware that that might happen, by the way, so I I tend to keep my conversations on the bush short. I try not to take them. But if I am taking them, I don't talk about anything sensitive, not talking about anybody and using any names, nothing, because I have situational awareness. Um, uh, And if you're a politician, you really do have to have situational awareness. There has been an invasion of privacy. I think that's out of the question. Um, Sorry, uh, beyond question. Um, I don't think the video should have been posted by anyone. Please don't be naive about it either. Uh, I mean, if me, who's pretty low down the food chain, has to have a situational awareness, then major politicians ought to as well.
0: Well, I kind of disagree. I kind of agree with you on a kind of disagree. I agree with you that it's probably technically an invasion of privacy. On the other hand, there are degrees of invasions of privacy. No one poked in through his curtains with a camera for a peep show. This is a nightclub. The people have camera phones. You're a yeah, no but, a bus, but a bus is a
1: boss. I mean, you should be and, able to go, just go on a no, bus no, and no, people no,
0: the, pictures of you. That's true. That's true. But I would pu- put it to you. I would put it to you in this, that there's invasions of privacy and there's invasions of privacy. If Mr. Veradker were, for example, and I, I said this in a piece uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, were he not Leo Veradker, and were he, for example... Um, a very prominent Roman Catholic archbishop who had been photographed in an invasion of privacy in the exact same situation, in the exact same scenario, engaged in the exact same activity. Would the Irish media have buried that story? Well, in the, in well, well page of every
1: yeah, but uh, the difference would be that the bishop would be a hypocrite for preaching a certain moral standard. I think a better example, by the way, is... Um, uh, a neighbor of Boris Johnson hears him having a bit of a shouting match with Carrie, who was then his partner, and decides to go to the media with her, and they broadcast it big time. I mean, if that wasn't an invasion of privacy, he's in his own home; he's not having a row in a restaurant. Okay, exactly. so it's quite different. It's it's it's, it's like a hundred degrees different, and yet it was covered, and it was covered here too. How was that not? It was it was it couldn't have been a worse invasion of privacy.
0: Yeah, well, I think the point we're both making, uh, it, it, the over the overarching point here, is that this idea that the media has consistent standards, which it applies across the board to every story, is bull. And That's it, It's absolute nonsense, because there is no way that Leo Varadkar gets treated the same way as Boris Johnson. And as an Irish citizen, that offends me, because I do not see why the Irish media feels it has a duty to hold the Prime Minister of a different country to a higher standard than it holds the about-to-be Prime Minister of this one. This is the country that they are supposed to be the watchdogs of democracy in. This is the country in which they're supposed to Look out for the little guy. And by the way, you're hypocrisy. But,
1: uh, but, but, well, at least have consistent standards about yeah. it. So uh, uh, you're hi- if you're uh, against invasion to privacy, be against invasion to privacy.
0: But I am going to interrupt you here, David, because I think it's important to to say about this this whole area that if you are a, a citizen and you are trying to be informed in this country, it's very hard to do it. It's very hard to know who to trust anymore. And then they've hit you with this stuff about fake news and be careful where you get your information and don't believe things you see online. But Which often, brings us
1: on neatly to the Twitter files, by the way.
0: It does. But, but I'll make a final point before we flip mm. over to Twitter, which is that if you are telling people that and then they're seeing stuff online that you as a media are not covering, um, which everyone else is talking about, then... I, you Know it completely the two messages on un- uh, completely contradict each other because, on the one hand, you have the media saying don't trust anybody but us, and on the other hand, you have them displaying for the whole world to see that they can't be trusted to tell you the news all the time. Anyway, the Twitter files hit me.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm writing about this in the Sunday Times at the weekend, so I'll just speak briefly and then hand over to you. Um, so Elon Musk goes into Twitter. And uh, then he sends in, essentially, his detectives um, who go and have a look to see, has Twitter indeed been ideologically biased, as people have always suspected, is a really pro-Democrat and anti-Republican? And the answer is, you bet. Big time. So, you know, your friendly Democrat politician could phone up and say, don't like this story. Can you uh, turn down the volume on a big time and turn down the view so a lot fewer people see it? Republicans would occasionally call. I would occasionally get the record. because maybe it was a really outrageous story or something. But for the most part, it's one-way traffic and it's pro-Democrat. Um, and Barry Weiss, um, who was working for the New York Times and then left because she basically wasn't being allowed to do her job was to represent the kind of other end of the ideological spectrum compared to the very liberal uh, New York Times. So she's had Twitter threads about this, and so was another journalist called Matti Abbey, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, and another guy called Mike Schellenberger. So you can look up all their tweets and see uh, these threads about the Twitter files. And so we'd say there's some version of John McGurk over in America, and there's a do not amplify command on his Twitter account. Oh, there's a blackout on him trending because we can't have John trending saying those things are against lockdown. Um, And this was happening wholesale. So it's in Twitter what is happening in mainstream media as well. Don't like that story, de-amplify. Do like this story, amplify that one big time. And so newspapers at least admit that they're publishers, Sorry. Uh, that yes, that they're publishers and they pick and choose. Twitter was simply a platform, and anybody could post there without fear of favor and without bias, unless you were just outrageously hateful or defamatory or something like that. Though I've been defamed on Twitter and do absolutely nothing about it, but it's not a platform, it is a publisher, and it was acting like a publisher and it was particularly acting at the behest often of lower down woke employees who are just deciding, I don't want people to see John um, McGurk's tweets, so I'm going to make sure that the number of people who can see his tweets is way reduced. And this was happening a lot. Tell
0: me something. Did you ever apply, David, back in the day when you had to apply for it and you couldn't just pay €8 euro a
1: month, whatever it is, which I'm, I haven't done. You, I know what you haven't done yet. Mm. Did you ever apply for a blue tick? I did not. And I don't know whether I would have got it or not, but I just wasn't inclined to... Um, because i just felt that twitter is not a friend uh, but i do know by the way a prominent figure um a radio host who has more followers than you or i who did apply and was told you're not prominent enough didn't get it and then yeah. reapplied it was turned down in 30 seconds flat well
0: ridiculous it, it's not it's not it's not about whether you're prominent or not because there are people giving blue ticks who are working for newspapers who who had 500 followers. It was not mm. about prominence. It was about the criteria they set down. So I did apply on two occasions. Okay, not because I felt Not because I felt particularly strongly about it or because mm. I really wanted a blue tick. I mean, I'm fine without one, and I don't intend paying on one. I might pay on one if the benefits are good. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'll pay, I think. But the point is, uh, I applied and I met the criteria. I mean, I objectively mm-hmm. met the criteria. They ask mm. you for sort of like, uh, criteria for, um, in my case, either as a media commentator or as a notable person. Uh, mm. They ask you for like n- newspaper articles in which are pr- prominently featured in the last six months. I submitted like four, the limit was two. Um, mm. I passed all the criteria and each time I got this email going, no, oh, you're not a prominent enough person. And like you, I know others in the same boat. Mm. All of them on the sort of center-right-ish sort of
1: well, how many Conservatives slash Libertarians in Ireland the blue ticks? Um, I mean, Sharon Keoghan does, but she's a politician. They probably literally could not turn her down. There's probably no way you could turn down a politician because they're just objectively prominent people. There's no subjectivity about this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's Declan Ganley. Um, he's something like 30,000 Twitter followers, and he founded Libertas and all the rest of it. He is no blue tick. I mean, <laughs> none of us are blue ticks. It's just absurd.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't go so far as absurd because, I mean, I don't think we care about it that much, but it's notable. It's notable that we don't have them. But this thing about the... You're yeah, about but the there cricket. is an
1: absurdity to people with the right views getting blue ticks and people with quote-unquote oh, quote, uh, wrong views uh, not having them.
0: There, there, there is, of course. There is, of course. I take that point. But I'm um, I, 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 I more just, I don't want to get the give listeners the impression that we're butthurt about it because I'm not. I don't care. But mm. I just think it's it's a notable thing. Uh, and to be some some extent, having a blue tick on Twitter, I think, seems to make you a worse person. But <laughs> the um, the 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 thing about the Twitter file story that struck me was the I don't know, if blatant is the right word, but the degree to which it overlapped with the COVID story, where you know you had examples of medics who disagreed with lockdowns mm. and the and the general medical strategy being employed, employed by governments right across the West, including US state governments, the Irish government, the UK government, and so on, who are literally having boxes ticked saying, do not amplify, do not allow this person's views to become prominent. That mm. is interference in public debate. That isn't... We're often told this story that it's about stopping fake news. It's about reducing abuse. It's about clamping down on anti-Semitism and homophobia and racism and all the other isms and bigotries. um But in actual fact, this was purely about shutting down critical views on an issue where there was overwhelming consensus.
1: By scientists uh, at places uh, like Stanford and Harvard.
0: By scientists at places like Stanford and Harvard. This is a, a company placing its thumb on the scale of public debate. And what I would say is... And not you, the only company, of course. Not the We're only all company. doing it. Can you imagine, let's pretend this wasn't a social media platform. Let's say that Shell Oil or Statoil or, or mm. some big Russian gas company wanted to influence public debate and decided to do it the old-fashioned way and spend a billion dollars dropping adverts on, on the internet to influence public debate. A company like that influencing public debate would be... A news story. It would be a crisis. There would be calls for regulation and, and making sure this couldn't happen. There would be condemnation of big business interfering in politics. All of that sort of stuff. But when it's a company doing it, not spending a penny to do it, uh, and simply influencing the political sphere in order to better align with the views of its own um, you mm. know, shareholders, employees, benefactors, wherever it's trying to, to 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 benefit. You know, again in this country buried. It's kind of uncool to talk about the Twitter files because you have to legitimise Elon
1: Musk. Not just here, by the way. I mean, it's just not been properly covered anywhere, including in England. Uh, I mean, I suppose like mainstream media would say, we don't want to give social media too much coverage. We don't like social media because we're a rival. So that's kind of... Rivals don't like to cover each other except in an unflattering way. But what's the excuse of politicians not to be talking about it? Oh, wait, they like what was happening in there. They denied it at the time. No, no, not happening. And there's no shadow banning going on. And then it turns out the term they were using inside Twitter was visibility filtering. Or something along those lines, but it meant shadow banning. Like you speak about the um, censoring of people who dissented from... Lockdown and descent from the view that this is the worst thing since Spanish flu. Um, so there's a parliamentary inquiry in Britain about all this, and there was a guy called um, uh, Professor Piers Robinson, who's an expert in politics and media, and he was he says to this committee early on, tech companies agreed to deplatform people who were supposedly, I emphasise, supposedly guilty of misinformation, demonstrating an extraordinary level of control and willingness to control. Like one of the people was a um, Professor Carl Heenahan who's been excellent throughout all this, and his whole area is evidence-based medicine. And he was doubting very early on the evidence in favor of face masks uh, and their use in public spaces in reducing transmission. And no proper studies have come out that I can, uh, apparently, according to uh, Professor Carl Hiena, that really highlight uh, properly and robustly the efficacy of face masks. But Mm -hmm. you dare not question this. So he was demonized, and again, everything turned down. Not going to be allowed to hear the volume in this guy. And if you look him up, you're going to see all kinds of um, uh, big arrows pointing to him and big government health warnings. Do not believe this guy. Okay. And he spent 25 years, you know, talking about evidence based medicine. Where's the evidence for this grand claim you're making? So this was just happening wholesale and so so wrong.
0: It's it's but but even if you think about Facebook, like I, obviously I run a. a, a a website which posts news stories and opinion pieces on various topics. And, you know, if I post to Facebook a story that is in any way uh, highlights a negative with or criticizes or takes any, or even mentions the word climate change, Mm -hmm. that story has a big sticker put across it by Facebook urging readers to go and find out the facts, the facts in inverted commas about climate change from uh, independent experts, which is outrageous.
1: I've that uh, my personal they, Facebook they, page.
0: They don't, they don't, they don't claim anything we've reported is false, mm. because it's not. We, mm. We're we a member of the press council. We don't report things that are false. We only report things that are are true. We may we may argue things that other members of the press don't argue, but we don't report anything that's false. Uh, there's nothing factually wrong with our reports. But the purpose of the sticker is to imply that what you're reading may be false. No, we're uh-huh. herded around like sheep. And it is it is it is incredible. And the thing that strikes me about all of this, the overarching, everything from the, the hate speech bill to Mehol Martin wanting to regulate social media, to all this voluntary social media regulation to the media self-censoring on all these stories that we've just discussed, is it just wouldn't occur to me to try to do it. it hmm. You and I, um, we have different views to many of these people, but it would never occur to me to try and censor somebody I didn't agree with. It would occur to me to argue with them Mm. Might occur to me to fight with them, might occur to me to even lose my temper with them. Would never occur to me to try and shut them up. Um, no, to I,
1: see, but you see, again, the east wall protests that's a story, but cover, given a big coverage. Would not serve the you know the greater good as they see it. And same with the um thing in Brussels. Uh, we're covering it, but we're not really going to get too angry about it, and we're not going to show pictures too many with the big huge wads of cash, because the greater good would be uh, as we see it would be undermined by that too. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, that's, that's um,
0: those,
1: uh, those are our depressing
0: conclusions, folks. On well, on, on free speech, and our, no, we're yeah, not finished. We're not finished the show. No we're not good. Those those are um, our those are our, yeah, our depressing
1: conclusions. Yeah. Folks, well, here. I mean, I think they're, accurate and need to be said that's why the show exists The week it really was to try and you know give you a different um take on the great narrative and offered a narrative of our own but um we were saying before the show that we tried to keep it to 40 minutes this week because we ran considerably over last week but we also said that we'd do a couple of news and briefs of stories that kind of caught the eye and uh, maybe need a bit of a mention so one of them that I wanted to mention was the Enoch Burke case, who, of course, is in prison because he's in contempt of court for not obeying an injunction to stay away from a school where he's had a big row about gender pronouns. So he's in there for three months, and he's been refused release again because, of course, he hasn't purged the contempt. And theoretically, he could remain in prison forever. Um, now, I was reading in one of the papers um, yesterday that a judge is within his or her power to say, OK, this has gone beyond the beyond, am going to release you. So they were talking about a particular person who never First, the contempt was released after two months. I mean, for goodness sake, can they not release him for Christmas? Uh, the school will be closed over Christmas. And then if he breaks the injunction after Christmas, well, then that's a different story. But it seems to me there's a tremendous lack of leniency here, even if they think he's the greatest pain in the neck there ever was. A judge can, in fact, decide enough is enough. Well, I
0: did a piece at the very beginning. So, so free
1: Enoch I did Christmas. Piece. I did
0: a piece when he was sent to prison first. And I mean, First of all, can I just say, for all the people listening to this show to catch McGurk and Quinn out in some outrageous statement, can I just say, he is in contempt of court. The court has asked him not to go to a school. He went to the school, or he was refused to promise not to go to the school. He is therefore in contempt of court. The court is within its right, of course, to enforce its orders, and in fairness, Enoch Burke has left them very little option other than to do so. But first of all, can I endorse everything you've just said? It, it seems insane to me that they couldn't release him for Christmas when they released literal murderers for Christmas and have done for years on compassionate grounds. Um, and, and, and even more so at a time when the school in question is closed. And if he did want to go and occupy the classroom, he'd be sitting in the cold with no one else there, no dark, no, no light, no heat, no anything. And, and he'd probably was, have to break in, which would make things a little bit yeah, worse. He's, yes, he's not a threat to anybody. Um, hmm. But I wrote a piece at the very beginning of this contrasting his treatment with, with that of other people who have offended against the state. Because ultimately, whether it's contempt of court or a criminal charge, the crime is you've offended against the state. This week, my colleague Fatima wrote about, uh, wrote, wrote about a case, I think it was, I can't remember exactly where, in the southern half of the country, where there was two teenagers who were convicted of very seriously sexually assaulting another teenager. Suspended sentences. Not, wow. not 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 sent to prison mm. we have we've a judge in this country who uh, a couple of years ago there was an individual who broke into a woman's house in the dead of night got into her bed um attempted to rape her while her child was in the bed alongside her suspended That's disgusting sentence. suspended sentence we had a case of a man in his 50s who invited a 50 or 15 year old girl into his van proceeded to unzip his pants and entertain himself, shall we say in her presence she got out of the car, ran away he was he was inter he was intercepted, he was charged, he was brought before the courts suspended sentence the judge said is on the lower end of the spectrum of offenses. these people are walking around today. Enoch Burke, who in his own pig-headed way won't refuse to attend a school which technically still employs him, is in prison, has no prospect of release and is being treated. Uh, by the system, if not by the public, as uh, the greatest threat to public safety. And
1: theoretically in there for life.
0: Theoretically in there for life. I mean, look, to some extent, it's his own fault. You know, in my view, and I'll say this straight, and I know there are people who strongly disagree with me who might be listening to this and all the rest of it, in my view, uh, if the court gives you an order in a society, whether you agree with that order or not, society falls apart if we all start saying we can't obey Court orders, um, particularly yes, but, one, one, one that's as reasonable as don't go near this school while this disciplinary proceedings ongoing. But that's that that's separate to the question of how he's been treated for, for disobeying that court order.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just reading from a piece yesterday um, about the Burr case and him getting refused, um, um, uh, you know, being released. Uh, it says, however, it is open to the court to end incarceration even when a person refuses to perish their contempt. In June, a judge released two men who had spent a fortnight, a fortnight in jail, after trespassing at a property. Um, um, Ms Justice Emily Egan said the imprisonment had served its purpose and it was not appropriate for them to remain in jail. Um, so when does this serve its purpose? Um, so they, you know, we can see they can uh, be lenient when they want to be. There's just, by the way, there's one more thing I want to mention there before we finish, and that was the redoubtable Sharon Kilgan in the Shannon. There yesterday or the day before was talking about um, books recommended for teachers to use in basically sex ed class by the National Council for Curriculum and Assessment that basically sets out what should be taught in schools, a broad outline. Um, And like some of the books had incredibly sexually explicit material. So she sets out what some of that material was, and I say something like that had never been read into the Shannon record before. So most of them were sitting there. It was. There. It was. It just. If, if listeners mm. are wondering, I'll tell them it was. Well, this is seriously overrating stuff. So.
0: Well, it is, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to read it in detail. But if listeners mm. are wondering, uh, what was on? The, what is on the curriculum for your children recommended by the NC? This is now right.
1: junior cycle, which I think a junior cert. Yeah, so it's fourteen year
0: olds detailed instructions on how to manually bring a male to sexual climax um it, it's ver and, and again it's recommended for it, it for quite young children and it's left the, up to
1: the discretion of teachers what they want to use some of these books
0: yeah now i suspect i have to say i suspect that most teachers being relatively normal human beings will probably pick something else but there no, will there's be... probably nobody
1: who'll do it but the ncca is willing to put these things on the reading list so yeah. kiogan anyway um sharon uh, reads out this stuff, and Senator Sean Kine, uh, who I was barely aware of from Fine Gael, you know, he's not upset about the content, uh, the explicit material. He may, he makes some weird reference to Albert um, um, uh, Kinsey, who wrote one of the first kind of sex studies back in the 1940s. Uh, and uh, I can't even remember what the point is he was trying to make. Uh, but I do know Kine was saying, Nothing really to worry about here. Um, if, if people are consenting to all this, well, so what? Although the parents he conceded ought to be told about it. you had no objection in principle to this incredibly sexually explicit material um, being taught in schools. So I don't know what the limits of these people is. And um, uh, I was surprised more of the senators weren't kind of attacking her. They were mainly simply rolling their eyes to heaven. But you notice notice um, they had no problem with the content. Um and it was the fact that the NCCA is recommending no, this content. It's, it's I, mean, I, I mean, I think this is something, again, more that's, parents ought to know about. That's not... I mean,
0: you're, you're, you're right and you're wrong. I mean, they are no problem with the content. No, they are no public problem with the content. If you get any of these people sitting in a room and you, you read it to them, they'll squirm and then they'll admit privately behind the scenes, oh, it's on gone a bit too far and... That is too bad. And you know, I talk mm. to these people all the time, talk to Finnegale TDs and centers and tell you that they're they're appalled mm. the direction things are going, but they're terrified. They're shit scared of saying it in public because they might be thought crude. Yeah. And that that is just the reality of the situation. They're all sitting there and they, they make a show of rolling the Regina Doherty rolling her eyes. Oh, this is terrible. Catholic, ancient stuff. You know, how dare you look down mm. your nose at a child being taught how to. I won't even say what the child has been taught to do. Is she, I mean, yep, it, yep, or, it's yep. a performance. It's a joke. Um, mm. and, and that's mm. the standard of politics we have these days. And Because you, these people are more interested in what we might fear that they think than, than telling us what they think themselves. Uh, so, so yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, you did a bit of a rant last week. That wasn't my rant this week.
1: No, 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 that was fine. Um, um, I, I think that's completely allowed. Um, it was a very eloquent one. <laughs> Thank and, you very and well. A necessary an accurate one.
0: Well, we'll leave and it there. more. We we'll have a lot more, more them in the new year. We, we, we will. We will. Um, folks, we, we, we don't know whether we'll have a show next week. It's coming up to Christmas. Probably you want to spend time with your families and not time with me and David. I don't know why, but apparently, I'm told, <laughs> some people prefer spending time with their families than listening to me and David. Um, But uh, if we do, it'll be short. And if we don't, we'll see you the week after. But in the meantime, that was another edition of the week that really was. Thanks very much. And if we aren't talking to you all, Have a wonderful Christmas.